Welcome to Vallejo's Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast on the third Sunday in Advent, December 15th, 2019. The Reverend Wendy Kamori Stager is preaching. Her message is Unabashed Joy. The scriptures this morning are from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 1 through 10 and the New Testament book of Luke chapter 1 verses 46b through 55. Our New Testament text is the Magnificat, which comes from Mary saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, making it bigger. Here's a translation that comes from the message, which may help us to hear this in a fresh new way. Hear of Mary's joy. Mary said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God, whose very name is holy, set apart from all the others. God's mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. God bared an arm and showed strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. God knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. God embraced the chosen child Israel. God remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what God promised, beginning with Abraham and right up till now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, who moves in mysterious ways, we seek you this morning. Teach us through your servant Mary and her song how to sing in hope and joy even when our world feels uncertain. I ask humbly that you might use my words and preparation to bring your living and joyful word to our lives. Amen. Christmas colors and what you pull out of your wardrobe in the Christmas season, what do you usually put on? Oh, um, you're modeling. Like, look at, look at you all right here, this front row of the car. Wait, you usually put on red. Or sometimes you put on red and green, which normally in the rest of the time of the year you think, oh my gosh, those colors look awful together. I would never wear them. But at Christmas, We put on the bright red and the bright green. So then for folks who haven't grown up in the church, they walk into the church and they go, where's the red and green? You have all this, like, purple and blue stuff? Like, wait, what's that? Like, that seems kind of serious and kind of downer compared to the bright red and green contrast. And that's because purple is the color of kings. It's the color of penitence. And an advent was kind of a serious preparation time getting ready for Christmas. And then church colors, the Christmas colors on Christmas Eve aren't red and green either. They're actually white 
and gold. So white and gold, the color of the Christ candle, the chrismans that are on the tree are usually white and gold. Where's my friend Lauren? Lauren's in the back. Lauren, Lauren will often greet me and say, what color is our church season? Because I want my shirt or my tie to match the color of the church season. So he's in purple today. Look at that. He's in purple today. <laughs> and, and some of you have, you know, we've, we've asked you on Pentecost to wear red on the day of Pentecost. So today is the pink day. Um, I think that this is the only day in the church year, the only time when we would say there's a pink Sunday. I was actually surprised. These are, these are stoles that I wear. Uh, they're a symbol of a towel. And I was surprised I had a pink one. I think this was actually a gift because the other person who had it never had a chance to wear it. <laughs> and and they, kind of, they thought it looked kind of Asian and kind of Japanese, so they gave it to me. I don't think I've ever worn it in worship. Because usually I wear the color that matches the season, which is going to be purple or green or white and gold. But today is the pink day. Um, and Margaret um, was great in wearing pink and having this great pink feather boa. And to be that unabashed joy. But here's what's weird. When we started and we looked at this drama and this play, and Margaret was the one saying, hey, would you want to be in our play about joy? Right? We have these different roles. There's hopeful joy. There's joyful joy. There's loving joy. You know what the last role to get filled was? Unabashed joy. People were like, ooh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the peaceful one. That's great. Right? Or I'll take the role that doesn't say very much at all. I don't know. This, this jumping up and down, like cherries on top joy, people really backed, backed off from that. It's, 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 a, it's a weird approach avoidance dance that we do with unabashed joy. I know this because I'm super guilty of this as well. I am preaching to myself here because I know that there are times that I intentionally and sometimes unintentionally sort of hold back the joy. Many of you know I got the opportunity to visit Japan this last September. And I was, yeah, I was kind of wiggled my butt, excited to go. I was super excited to come home. And people would be like, how was it? I was like, wow, it was great. But I didn't find myself fusing about, oh, we did this, and we ate this, and we did this. Like, I went, I kind of measured it out because I didn't want my joy to make somebody else feel bad. Although I had a great time, and I did have a great time, I didn't want to be lifting up the privilege of that ex experience for me. And so I then downplayed my own enthusiasm a bit. I didn't want to overexpress my joy. And right, it, it doesn't last for a super long time. And so it's almost like I, I was reading blog posts and one, one author, one writer said this, it's like I'm trying to like level the playing field that if I feel less joy, then that'll make it more fair for the other people who don't have as much joy and opportunity as I do. And so therefore, I don't soften into the joy when it comes. 
I found out there's a term for this. It's called foreboding joy. Foreboding joy is when you have this little idea that joy is coming and then it has that pullback feeling to it. I learned this term from Brene Brown, who um, is a writer and scholar that I love. She got to go on Oprah and share on Super Soul Sunday. And she was conversing with Oprah and she said this, you know what's tricky? As someone who studies shame and scarcity and fear, I will tell you that if you ask me, what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion we experience as humans? I would say joy. I often ask parents, and I'll have 5,000 parents in the audience or something, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever stood over your child while he or she was sleeping and thought to yourself, I love you like I didn't know was possible. And then in that split second, picture something horrible happening to them. How many of you have ever sat up and said, work's going good, good relationship with my partner, parents seem to be doing okay? Uh-oh, what, what's the bad thing that's going to happen? So what is that? You know what that is? She says, it's when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding joy. The, I'm not going to feel the joy. I'm not going to soften into that moment of joy because I'm scared it's going to get taken away. I'm scared the other shoe is going to drop. Brene Brown describes joy as a step beyond happiness, though. Happiness is like the atmosphere that you can live in sometimes if you're lucky. Happiness is connected to your circumstances. But she says joy is different than that. Joy is this light and love and hope and faith that is not tied to circumstances. It's tied to spirit. And the other thing she says about joy is that it is thorny and sharp. I never thought about joy that way, but it goes with that sharpness and fierceness that when you love someone fiercely and you believe and you give your whole heart to something and you celebrate in that fleeting moment in time, you're also acknowledging that life doesn't come with guarantees and that those are a risky moment, risks that involve vulnerability and often pain. And so that brings us back to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her ability to savor and express and model this unabashed joy. Now, pregnancy is a time of great vulnerability, both for the birth mother and for that life growing within her. I honestly really disliked being pregnant. Um, I was nauseated first trimester. Uh, I was super hungry all the time. My body felt like it was taken over by hormones and this alien life within me that was like this squirming eel. 
And then like, there's dumb things, like the allergy med that I usually take, I couldn't take, because that was gonna cross the placenta. And I wasn't supposed to eat foods I really like to eat, like sushi and raw fish, and blue cheese. And I couldn't even sleep in my favorite position anymore, because you can't sleep on your stomach. And I, but wait, I was a whiny, pregnant person. <laughs> because it, it's an uncomfortable place to be. And then I thought, Mary had the physical stuff, but she also had it at a time when childbirth was way riskier, way more uncertain. There are no ultrasound machines. There's no ability to have a C-section if the baby is breech. And even the children who were born, sometimes they died young, and mothers died in childbirth. On top of that, Mary had especially crummy circumstances. By the way, she's in wedlock, right? There's no husband involved. She's got this story of being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Socially, she would have been deemed an outcast, a loose woman, deserving to be hidden or to crawl away in shame and hide out to try to get forgotten and swept away. And so her state of circumstances were not circumstances that were very happy. But Mary was in touch with this spiritual sense of joy. And she didn't let the circumstances and even those foreboding fears of her Uh, of of what's going on in her life and what's going on around her, her response in the middle of this vulnerable pregnancy is the song, the text that we read this morning, the Magnificat. And this song and these words of poetry are unapologetic, unabashed joy. It's, she, she sings it when she's at Elizabeth's house together, And all her words are optimistic and powerful. And I imagine her singing it loudly and fully. All this when the baby isn't even born yet. And when she has no guarantee that all will be well. This is before she knows she's going to have to flee to Egypt for her life and the life of the baby. In that very moment, though, she leans into her joy. She leans into her passion. She leans into her life. She says, I am bursting with God news. I am dancing the song of my Savior God, and I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. She claims her joy, and then she shares it. She shares it with Elizabeth, and she shares it with us. And she shares that sharp, fierce joy. This sharp, fierce joy has gotten really personal for me in this season of Advent. Many of you know, and we shared here, that uh, my dear friend Sheila Denton had a brain hemorrhage in, in November. I found out just before Thanksgiving when it wasn't sure if she would live or die. She had been at yoga class, right? Taking 
taking care of herself, doing what you're supposed to be doing when she lost her balance and fell over and fell unconscious. She was rushed to a Santa Rosa hospital and then immediately transferred to San Francisco that had better technology and medical care. And I, in my advent, had to wait. I didn't have any other role to play except to wait and to pray. The doctors are taking care of people. She has friends and family who are with her. But I would wait. I'd wait for my cell phone to go because I was getting some texting updates. Maybe one a day. If I didn't get one by like nine, I was kind of antsy. I'm like, what's going on today? The person who's writing these text updates is Nancy, who's a dear friend of Sheila's. She's also somebody in spiritual direction and somebody that I've run in Presbyterian circles forever. And a person of deep faith and a person of deep joy. Because here's what she had to say in these text messages that have taught me about this unabashed joy. On Tuesday the 26th, she writes this. Dear folks, so today has been very complex. We began the day prepared for news on the MRI that irreversible damage had been done due to the intracranial pressure from the bleeds and the drain backup. But there were three surprises on the MRI. No evidence of permanent damage. The swelling has diminished. The fluid is draining well. The docs recommended an angiogram, and the docs just reported out successful. Yes, we are feeling joy up here. And the next day, right, today was more discouraging for Sheila's condition. The pneumonia has lightened in her first lung, but now has also spread to the other lung. Her heart entered atrial fibrillation in the night, and her kidneys are struggling. But she closes with this line, feeling grateful for the prayers, love, and support from so many parts of the world. By Sunday, December 1st, the outward statistics didn't vary much today for Sheila. More tests were taken to make what is internally unfolding more transparent to the medical community. Nothing became evident. Nancy writes this, for some of us today begins Advent when we collectively practice waiting, anticipating, not in fear, but in hope, because the love we feel for Sheila is already a promise fulfilled. We practice in December while the daily light grows shorter because life circumstances call on waiting and anticipating with hope at the drop of a hat. The very next day, Monday, December 2nd, Sheila opened her eyes last night. (sighs) Thanks be to God. We acknowledge that Sheila is still in a very serious medical condition. Her road will very likely have bumps and setbacks in it. In other words, we're keenly aware it is not a linear process, and the goals continue to change as she changes status. And every day I wait for my phone to go Saturday, December 7th, Paul, Sheila's husband, put on a threshold choir CD from her friends. 
Special choir is a choir that will come and sing to people in life transitions in the hospital. They'll sing at the birth of a baby. They'll sing to folks who are in comas. Paul put on the threshold CD from her friends and she was able to lip sync every word. It was like a really sappy movie. <laughs> Tears are streaming down my faith as she's singing these most exquisite songs about the beauty of being in love and forgiveness. Her family came to be part of the support and celebration team. By the end of the afternoon, she was totally exhausted. I didn't get a message last night, so I don't actually know how Sheila is doing at this exact moment. But it, it was this tight, tight juxtaposition of the fragility of her condition and then this lightness and hope from the small steps of progress, the opening of her eyes, the being able to make eye contact has been that sharp, fierce joy that Brene has described. One of the other people Brene Brown interviewed as she was researching her stuff on vulnerability was a story that really stuck with her and stuck with me. She said, I interviewed a man who told me, my whole life, I never got too excited, too joyful about anything. I just kind of stayed right in the middle. That way, if things don't work out, I wasn't devastated. And if they did work out, it was a pleasant surprise. In his 60s, he was in a car accident. His wife of 40 years was killed. And he said, the second I realized that she was gone, the first thing I thought was, I should have leaned harder into those moments of joy. Because that didn't protect me from what I'm feeling right now. I think what Mary's song inspires to us and says to us today is to not squander the joy. We can't prepare or avoid the tragedy and loss, but when we, when we lean into the, when we do this foreboding joy thing, we're stopping the joy that God has right in front of us because we get a little uncomfortable and we get a little scared. But that joy is there, even in the midst that there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees for Mary. No there are still no guarantees for Sheila. There's no guarantees for any of us. And yet, in the middle of this uncertain life, those sharp moment of joys still come. So when they come, stop. Savor it. Smile at it. And soften and lean into it, even if it's a little uncomfortable. At least that's what I'm trying to do as I wait for the next text message to come in to let my hope be a little bigger and my discomfort be a little bigger, but also when I hear good news, to let the joy be bigger too, that I might be able to dance like Mary and say, thanks be to God. My soul magnifies the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. You have been listening to Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Community Presbyterian Church and its ministries, come visit us at 2800 Georgia Street in Vallejo, California, or visit our website, cpcvallejo.org. You can also email us at cpcvallejo at sbcglobal.net. Have a blessed day.